0: I want you to think about this question for a minute. What happens to God's people when they lose sight of their God given calling? What happens to God's people when they fail to honor the Word of God as their standard of lifestyle? What happens to God's people when they mix worldly ideas with godly ideas? And develop their worldview of worship with that mixture. What happens when we compromise the essence of godliness. And only retain just some slight form of godliness in its place. See, these are questions we need to be pondering in our lives each and every day. Not just about other people. But for our own sake, for us to internalize, to reflect upon, to be able to answer those questions. And I believe we get some answers to those questions if we if we get a chance to read the book of Judges. So Daniel Block, he identifies a theme of Judges as being the canonization of Israel and you have to remember at this particular point, uh, Israel was actually called to wipe out all the Canaanites and then go out and evangelize to the world. It wasn't necessarily an evangelistic theme as you and I know it to be with Christ being Savior, but, but God being God, Lord of Lords, the great I Am. And he was, they were supposed to go out and God had delivered Israel out of Egypt and made his covenant with his people and he had given them that mission in life. They were supposed to go and possess the promised land that they were supposed to have and channel and be his channel for bringing truth to all of the nations. Sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? We have a similar challenge. It's called the Great Commission. See, God has given us that Great Commission because you too have a job to do for him. And just as we were given that great commission, and as the Israelites had their purpose, we tend to lose focus on it when we get around in our daily lives. See, early in this book, we find the mistakes that the Israelites did when they were given that charge. And early in, the bike, early in this book, we, we find that they're not fulfilling their calling that they were given, but instead what they were doing was finding a way to cohabitate with the enemy. They were basically sleeping with the enemy. In Judges chapter 3, verse 5 and 7, it says, Thus the children of Israel dwelt among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And they took their daughters to be their wives and gave their daughters to their sons. And they served their gods. So the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and Asherahs. So when we come to our text that we're gonna study tonight, which is Judges chapters 17 and 18. Yes, two chapters. We're gonna study through and get through it all. We're gonna see the result of those compromises that they made in Judges chapter three. We're gonna see that their spiritual lives became this state of confusion and disarray and then they lose their moral compass that they once have because they've forsaken the commandments that God has already given them not too long ago. They've incorporated their worship with the worldview. All kind of ideals that are given to them by these ungodly Canaanites. And as a result of this syncretism, which is the combination of different forms of belief, of practice, their sense of right and wrong, well, became twisted and distorted. What they were doing is evil in the eyes of the Lord. Yet without honoring the standard of God's word, and maybe not even realizing it. Sometimes maybe you and me do the same thing, don't we? So they compound the problem by each one doing what seems right to him or her. And not worrying about what the next person thinks or what God even thinks. They want to do what feels good to themselves. But let's look what it looks like. In the lives of three characters in our two chapters that we're going to review. We don't have time to read all two chapters verbatim, but we're going to skim through it. So stay in Judges chapter 17. and We're going to fly through it. The first character right off the bat that we come to is Micah's mother. We learned a lot about her in the first few verses of Judges chapter 17. So let's look at first four verses. Judges 17 verse 1 through 4. You there say amen. Now there was a man from the mountains of Ephraim whose name was Micah. And he said to his mother, The eleven hundred shekels of silver that were taken from you and on which you put a curse, even saying it in my ears, here's the silver with me. I took it. And his mother said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my son. So when he had returned the 1100 shekels of silver to his mother, his mother said, I had wholly dedicated the silver from my hand to the Lord for my son to make a carved image and a molded image. Now, therefore, I will return it to you. Thus, he returned the silver to his mother. Then his mother took 200 shekels of of silver and gave them to the silversmith. And he made it into a carved image and a molded image. And they were in the house of Micah. Let's stop there and pray. Lord, Father, I just want to thank you again for today and thank you for this word that you give us from Genesis to Revelation. We thank you, Lord. Thank you for giving us the ability to study it and try to understand what you have in store for each and every one of us. But most of all, thank you for giving us your son, Jesus Christ In his name. Forgive us. And as you dwell and as you indwelled us with the Holy Spirit, fill us with that spirit so we might be able to learn from you and not make it anything of our own sake, but all of you. Father, we love you. We thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So looking at these first four verses, we see right off the bat that she's a wealthy woman. I mean, just think about 1,100 shekels of silver in today's day and age, how much that would be worth. Now take it to back back in that time, even more so, it'd be worth a great wealth. Remember, silver was worth much more than gold during this time, okay? So it was a big, big metal that they had, and she had 1,100 shekels of it. So she was a really wealthy woman, So she was understandably upset when her silver came up missing. I don't know about you. I'd probably be upset too, wouldn't you? But what does she immediately do once she finds out it's missing? Does she go to God and ask him for help to find the missing money? No. In her anger, she pronounces a curse. She pronounces a curse on the perpetrator of the crime. See, it's an emotional response. And maybe you and I, we have those times when something was taken out from us and we get that same response. And we lash out back in anger. Whether we know that person or not. But then sometimes our emotions really get the hold of us and we're not just lashing out to them in anger, but we're cursing them. Maybe not with cuss words, but with our hearts. See, we might not be anything different than this person at times. But let me go on with what she's doing here. Her son apparently believes in this power of this curse. And so he gets a little scared and he ends up confessing to her, doesn't he? He confesses that he's the one that took the money from her. And now he's trembling in his boots. And he, but because he, he's worried, not because he's doing this out of true repentance, but he's worried about that curse that she placed on that perpetrator now to be his son, her son. So he's worried about this, but look what happens with the mother's response to her son's confession in verse two, at the end of verse two. It speaks volumes about how she's raised this boy, in my eyes, because as soon as she knows how precious, uh, that her precious son is the one who stole the money, what does she do? She completely changes her position, doesn't she? Oh, the Lord bless you, my son. Now, I don't know about you. If my son sticks his finger in the light socket, he's going to feel something. Mm -hmm. He stuck his finger in the light socket. See, we need to look closely at the consequences of his action here. We need to understand that instead of a correction, he received a blessing. This doesn't seem right, does it? How often do we see that in our world today? Oh, he's just being a kid. No, they have to learn with love, but also with correction, don't they? But so do you and I, because we still fail every day. See, the law required that he would go to the temple, which right now is located in Shiloh, and he would need to confess his sin of what he's done. He needed to pay restitution to the person he stole from, but he also had to pay an additional one-fifth of what he stole, stole to that person, his mother. But does he do that? He doesn't do that. But it goes on further. He was also required to offer a guilt offering for his atonement. You could read all about this in Leviticus chapter 6, by the way. But none of that happens. Instead, mom offers some grace, which has probably been going on all his life. And I want to stop there. I'm not discounting grace by any means. We need to give grace, but we need to give correction as well. There's a consequence to every action. Good actions bring good consequences, bad actions bring bad consequences. And we need to be teaching our children that and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren and our friends and our families. And we need to be open to learning that same instruction as well. See, we see some uh, in this woman some problems that have been passed along into her son's life, and it continues as he grows older. And you see first that there's a lack of respect for God's word in her response to her son. She simply follows her emotions rather than God's commandments. Then she's also thinking about honoring the Lord by giving her silver back to her son so he can make an idol. See, this is how confused she's become about God. But why? Because either one, she doesn't know God's word or she has little respect for it. See, the second commandment of the Decalogue forbids making idols. And we need to know that. But see, she's showing a lack of integrity. That's the number two uh, uh, thing that she's showing here is there's a lack of integrity. She says one thing in the name of the Lord and on the other, she does another thing. Jesus said something about speaking out of both sides of your mouth, didn't he? How often might we do that? Verse 3, she consecrated the 1,100 shekels to the Lord once it was found. But in verse verse 4, she follows through with only 200. Maybe you knew the Lord was telling you to give all you wanted to give, financially, physically, abilities, whatever it was, but you only give them a portion instead of all. When it got down to it, she decided to keep most of it for herself. But in other consequences, she's empowering her son for a ministry that he wasn't even called to. See, at this time, they were they, they were supposed to be submitting to the God-ordained ministry, which was in Shiloh. That was where the temple was at that particular point. But instead of going ahead and giving her money there, she finds this, this way, this loophole, to be able to keep the money in her family. And instead of st- submitting to the authority there, she sets up her son with this shrine that they can worship to, that he can worship to, and they can worship as a family together. So... It, she does this in my mind because she's trying to maneuver and control the situation that she's in so she can keep the money within the family. Oh, I'm not going to give my money to that church. All they do is use it to pay the pastor. See, we, let me tell you, I said that too when I was a new Christian. Okay, <laughs> But what I'm saying here is She's doing things during this time period that we see a lot of people in our world doing thousands of years later. And then we get to our second character, Micah, her son. His name means who is like Yahweh. Who is like Yahweh? Remember, they named their sons and daughters after something that they either resembled family name or it was something that was in their character. So a mother who would give her son a name like this must have had some knowledge of the Lord. But I want you to see this strange mixture that's going on here of God talk with compromise and no integrity. See, this is the problem, and it's not uncommon today. It's not not enough just to talk spiritually. It's not enough to superficially consecrate to the Lord. What must happen is we must actually do as the Lord commands. God, I wanna work for you. I'll give you my whole life. Send me anywhere you want me to send me. Oh, wait, you want me to go there? I don't know, Lord. Let me come more like Jonah and walk away. Oh God, I love your people. Put me anywhere you want me to be. I'll love them all. I'll do whatever I can for you. Then he puts you there and maybe it's, well God, I don't know about that. Do you know what they used to do? Or if you're physically able, God, send me anywhere. I want to do your job. Just don't, don't send me on a mission trip with Don. No offense. I'm not saying that, but how often do we hear it? See, we got to be willing to not just talk the talk. But we have to walk the walk. Amen, we have to. Luke Luke six forty six. But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things on which I say? Do you remember that? See, I could see this woman living today with this fish symbol on her lapel or on her back bumper. You know, she's driving down the street with this cross, this shiny, beautiful necklace. And she's wearing this, what would Jesus do bracelet, but yet doing nothing that Jesus would do. Wear the symbols, talk the talk. But if you're going to do that, then you must walk the walk must. Now, what about this man, Micah? What kind of Christian is he? Well, let's begin here. What kind of man would steal from his mother? That shows me right off the bat. He didn't have a lot of integrity, did he? He didn't have much character. I mean, he has no qualms about cooperating with his mother to make idols either. And they're not submitting to the authority in Shiloh to inquire whether it's right or not. The amazing thing that we see throughout our text is that they have an utter lack of conviction for sin. And you see that all over the news today, don't you? People not caring about what's going on in other people's lives, in their own lives. I don't care. I did it. I did it. Do we repent of our sins daily? Are we disgusted with what we did the day before because we know we did wrong? See this? People have so compromised their understanding of God that they can be seen stealing and lying and making idols and talking about God's blessings all at the same time. And that's a troubling place to be. It's a solemn warning of what syncretism does to one's understanding of God. And remember what syncretism is. In this context, it's the incorporation of the worldly worldly, uh, viewpoint, their concepts, and mixing it in with God's revelation to produce what one might say is okay to do. We're only bending it a little bit. Now, that's not one of the major commandments. It's only a little white lie. The only protection that we're going to get from doing the same things ourselves is a very high regard and obedience to God's word. We need to know that this has the answers. Just like they knew that the answers came in Shiloh in the temple because they didn't have one of these. We need to go here and do it. The biblical revelation is how we should live. Not our personal revision. That's why I carry God's word and not the Nick Manzi edition of it. Although sometimes I find myself pulling that Bible out and my, when it makes it convenient. Maybe I'm the only one. See, But we must invest the time to know what and, and, and how God has told us to live. And when we find out those answers, we need to live that way. We must live that way. Moving on in Judges chapter 17, verse 5, we see that Micah has all of a sudden set up this little worship center in his house. Look at verse 5. It says, The man Micah had a shrine and made an ephod and household idols, and he consecrated one of his sons who became his priest. See, every bit of what he just did in that verse was contrary to the revelation that they received in the Pentateuch and the first four books of the Bible given to them by Moses. Deuteronomy 12, if you remember, commanded them that they worship in the, only in the place that God has designated for them. Like I said several times right now, that's in Shiloh. That's where they were supposed to go to be able to worship God, not their own homes. They weren't supposed to create this mini church. We're not supposed to get upset with what happens in our church, leave and start our own church because that we didn't really fit with what was being said and taught there. We're supposed to look at God's word where God wants us to be and be able to see what we're supposed to be living. But you look at this and even though he had a nice replica, he even had his own priestly robe, it says in an ephod. But if you notice how Mike is, uh, Michael starts to follow his mother's example here, what does he do? He installs one of his sons to be now a priest. So this isn't just a one-time thing, this is a generational curse that's happening. See, believe it or not, what we do will teach somebody else. In this case, the son and now the grandson. But let me tell you, there's lots of kids running around, they might not be yours biologically, but they're yours. And they're seeing what you're doing. There's adults watching how the Christian is living. And are ready either to tear you apart or live the same way. They're learning. See, it's all very convenient that he does this. I mean, he's supposed to have an accountability to his son now. But I suspect that Micah was the neck that turned the head here, just, as, just like his mother had been for him. See, this man has found a way to do spiritual things, even have his own church tithe to his family but in staying control in this whole situation it looked all spiritual but let me promise you it was a sham because that's not what God ordained it's contrary to the commandments that God had given the people of Israel then you move on to verse 6 and this author of Judges helps us to interpret the thematic comment uh, and it says in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And that's pretty much what we've seen summed up in this chapter so far and when what we're about to see in the, in the verses and chapters to come. There's no sense of conviction here. There's no thought of repentance. And they have so compromised that the, of their understanding of God and of what the Lord requires of them, that they can, they, they can be violating His word grossly and not think anything twice about it. My gosh, how often we see that in our world today? We see people claiming to be Christians, when they walk into church and then they walk out, pastors and congregation alike. They start acting a different way. And then in verse 7, we're introduced to a new character in this narrative. And he's a Levite. Look at verse 7. And there was a young man from Bethlehem and Judah of the family of Judah. He was a Levite and was staying there. And if you recall going back in your history of your Bible, who were the Levites? They were the ones who took care of the church. They were the priests. They were the ones who brought God's word to the people, weren't they? But the moral and spiritual corruption that's happening here of the people of God ran through the whole nation. The rank and file people like Micah and his mother were compromised in their understanding of God. And the integrity of the judges, especially towards the end of this book, is extremely disappointing. But notice that this Levite is young. Now, he may have been too young to be a priest, but You know, God's ordained young folks before he's ordained judges that were three years old to be or kings to be three years old at certain times, didn't he? So age really isn't a matter, but your maturity level is. And in verse 10, we have Micah's offer. To that young priest. And it says, Micah said to him, dwell with me and be a father and a priest to me. And I will give you 10 shekels of silver per year, a suit of clothes and your sustenance. So the Levite went in. I mean, that's a a little bit of a flattering offer, isn't it? You know, here you are, young Levite. You know, your destiny is going to be a priest uh, of some sort down the road. You're that's what you're called to do by God. All your people are going to be in charge of that. And then you're being told, hey, I want you to be a priest now in my household to be father and to be priest. But notice the very next verse, what the relationship really becomes. Verse 11, then the Levite was content to dwell with the man and the young man became like one of his sons to him. Micah just managed to regain control, didn't he? See, in one verse, he's saying, come in, I want you to be like my father. I want you to be my priest. Oh, by the way, you're like my son now. See, by putting a Levite in charge of his house church, he was trying to give it more legitimacy. And before we talk further about this Levite, just a little comment of what motivates Micah. And you see on verse 13, then Micah said, "No, Now I know that the Lord will be good to me since I have a Levite as priest. See, Micah has one thing in mind. His own personal prosperity. It's all he cares about. He is intent on manipulating and using God for his own ends. And this touches upon a very important issue, I believe. God has called us. He's called you. He's called me. Each and every one of us to love him. But he doesn't just say love me. We're supposed to love him with all our hearts, our minds, our souls. And our strength. That's a lot. That is a lot. But our love and our devotion to be to God should be such a wonderful relationship like none other. A relationship of at a debt of love and adoration. But this is very different from the pagan Canaanite, Canaanite view of God. And worship, isn't it? See, pagans strive to manipulate gods to their own ends as well. They try to make it so fits that their thinking. Baal, well, that was a fertility god. And I'm not talking fertility as in babies, fertility as in crops. So they would sacrifice to Baal and hopefully they'd be able to maneuver them around so that way when they sacrificed them in a certain area, the crops would grow and they would prosper through the crops. See, this isn't even close to the relationship that we're supposed to be having with God, is it? We can't use them for our gain. Although he gives us gain at times, doesn't he? So we need to be very careful as Christians to put God in a box because God is much bigger than any box. You can never make a box that's, that's big enough to fit God in. Never. He's not some pagan deity that can be manipulated. He's our almighty Lord of all. Praise God for that. But what's going on with this Levite? Well, he's a wandering opportunist. He's looking for a place to stay. How do I know that? Well, by the way, he responds to Micah's offer. He's being hired to be this wealthy man's priest, and he has no problem by selling out to the position and the security of being at Micah's house. But what should he have done when that offer was made? Well, he probably should have warned Micah of what he was doing and not accept the offer, shouldn't he? See, he should have reminded him that there's scriptural insistence that the worship should only be done in a designated place. And that's where the Ark of the Covenant was, which was in Shiloh. And then his character flaws moves on in chapter 18. These three Danites come to Micah's house and talk to this Levite. In chapter 18.3, he sees this good opportunity when they ask him, who brought you here? What are you doing in this place? What have you here? See, this has probably been a good time for him to admit that he did wrong and he shouldn't have been there. But he doesn't do that. He probably should have asked that about the Danites as well. What are you doing here as well? But Mike, the, the, the answer of this Levite is pretty revealing. In verse 4, he says to them, Thus and so Micah did for me, he has hired me, and I have become a priest. Do you know what a hireling is? A hireling is someone who's working solely for the money. That's it. For financial gain. That's it. Well, there's a whole lot of truth in this hireling's answer. He's hired me. And so I became his priest. I did it for the money and a place to stay. See, I didn't, in, that interaction that we see in verses 5 and 6 chapter 18 is all too common. And I could feel grieving in the pit of my stomach when I read it. Verse 5, so they said to him, please inquire God that we may know whether the journey on which we go will be prosperous. And the priest said to them, go in peace. The presence of the Lord be with you on your way. See, here are the Danites. They're set on doing their own will with virtually no regard for God's will at all over their lives. And they come to this Levite here, this hireling, and they totally messed up spiritually. And they know that he's probably totally messed up, but he'll fit into their, their scheme of things. So they ask him to prophesy to him. And they say, please inquire, God, come on, help me out. We want to know if we're going to be prosperous on this journey. Sounds good on the surface, but it's really a ro- bunch of religious nonsense that they're doing. This Levite doesn't inquire of the Lord at all. He knows what they want to hear. So he gives them the flattering pro- uh, prophecy that they want to hear. And in verse six, it says, go in peace. The presence of the Lord will be, you, will be with you on the way. I liken that to a lot of t- pastors of today that want to give you the feel good message could never tell you that we might be doing something wrong in love. I'm not saying not to preach about love, but sometimes we got to tell the truth. Well, not sometimes, all the time, but sometimes the truth hurts. Amen. And let me tell you, it's a lot of times I'm I'm preparing for sermons, and my toes are being stepped on long before I might step on yours, and it hurts. But we have to do what God is saying to us. We have to be able to stay in God's word and know what he wants. And just to fast forward a little bit, because we're running short out of time, the Danites, you know, go back to their camp and they they take 600 warriors with them and they defeat these people that they were going out to attack. And they bring the Levite into their house all of a sudden. And that Levite, well, remember, he's young. He's obviously ignorant, maybe not even in God's word fully he takes a job when he's not sure supposed to be taking a job but here comes this new offer oh let me give you more money let me give you more people that you can work, you could be a priest over and it looks even bigger and grandeur and we get those things sometimes especially when we're young we want to leave for that job that might pay more we do those things And so, he gets this promotion. But his ministry is not about obeying God at this point. It's about success. And in his eyes, this is big time success. See this, that one seed that started out small has turned to this big, big boulder of weight and mushrooms into a national venue of, of apostasy. See, what this mother and this son were doing in not submitting to God's designated place of worship became the thing that the northern tribes did. And a little leaven rose into a big lump. See, one ambitious priest brought on by one action or inaction towards a child stealing money turned a country upside down. I want you to get this in your minds. We need to continuously ask, am I doing what God wants me to do? We joke around saying a butterfly fluttered in Africa and that's how we got a hurricane after it came across. But sometimes we make hurricanes with our actions and our inactions, don't we? We make them such a large hurricane that it no longer affects our family only, but the lives of so many others. What we need to do is realize that we cannot compromise to the world anymore. We must we must stay in God's word. We must live His word. We must learn His word. and we also must teach that word. Because if we're not teaching the word, somebody's teaching the worldly idea. So I want to encourage you tonight to have this fresh call as God's people to devote yourselves like you haven't done before. But I want you to do it according to God's word, not mine and not yours.